0: pray amen and amen please be seated well i don't know about you all but uh i am excited for tomorrow when it might snow who's with me And I have a feeling if I asked that question to the kids in our Sunday school class, I'd get a little bit more of an excited reaction. So uh, it is cold, but thank you for being here in the midst of that cold. It is good to be here with you sisters and brothers in Christ. And we are continuing uh, in our look in this series of being shaped like Jesus. And so I invite you to hear these words this morning. We're going to use the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew writes this, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of, God, kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king Who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, the Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. So, my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we come to you on this morning, gathered together as sisters and brothers in Christ, hoping to hear a word from you. And so, we pray that your Spirit would be upon us. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So we are continuing our look at what it means to be shaped like Jesus. And I just want to remind you, as I try to do every week, of our kind of our, our, our main theme scripture passage here. 2 Corinthians 3.18. That says that, that our lives are becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters into them and we become more like him. What we are wanting, what we're praying, is that day by day, as the sun sets, we will look more like Jesus than when the sun rose. And if you've been with us over the last couple of months as we've been going through this, uh, you may have had the same thought I had, which is that for most of us, these characteristics of Jesus do not come naturally. Right? It's not natural, for me at least, to be overly gentle. It may not be natural to be patient. It may not be natural to be generous or to be hospitable or to be holy as Jesus is holy. And so what we realize, of course, is that Jesus is calling us to a whole new way of life, to be a a new creation. And I would suggest that this week and our theme this week is certainly very similar. This passion that Jesus has for us to be a people who are forgiving. But this does not come easily for most of us. C.S. Lewis had this quote where he says that all of us like the idea of forgiveness until we actually have someone or something to forgive. Then all of a sudden, we don't like forgiveness nearly as much, right? And, and, and we see that, I think, with Peter, Here's Peter, and he asked this question to Jesus. Jesus has been talking about how we are to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Jesus sa- or Peter says, well, how many times? Like seven? Is that good? And that may not seem like much, but actually in, in the time when Peter was around, that was actually pretty generous. The rabbis would typically say three or four times. And so Jesus, uh, Peter has kind of combined them to say, hey, what about seven, right? And if you're Peter, you would be thinking, well, maybe Jesus is going to give me a pat on the back because I've gone above and beyond on. But, but Jesus does not. In fact, what Jesus is, kind of begins to say to him is, look, this is not about counting. What Jesus understood is that forgiveness right, is not, about, uh, is not about a number. It is not about how many times you do it. Forgiveness is about relationship. And in any relationship, as soon as you start counting, you move away from relationship and into a business partnership. Anytime that you begin to count when it comes to a relationship, you have moved beyond relationship and into a business partnership. And those are two fundamentally different things. First Corinthians 13, the love chapter that we talk about oftentimes at weddings, right? What does it say? It says, it says, keep no record of wrongs. Right? This is, again, kind of an accounting kind of wording, isn't it? I mean, keep no record of wrongs. But truth be told, most of us, when it comes to our relationships, especially those with whom we are close, maybe it's a, a husband or wife, maybe it's a friend or a, a parent or a child, it seems like we have a calculator with us, doesn't it? And there's always, like, it's already hit the plus, and we're just ready as soon as there's a wrong to hit the one. Or if you're Peter, you you start with seven, and then you have the subtraction, you know, and you're ready to subtract until you get to zero. Most of us, I would suggest, we are more than ready to remember the wrongs that have been committed against us. Right? Most of us are well prepared for that reality. In fact, perhaps we even keep a whole ledger, right, that says not just the time, not just the date. We may even remember what we were wearing when it is that someone wronged us. And I'm not convinced that actually this is what we want. It's just that not forgiving seems to come quite easily. And so Jesus understands how hard it is to move beyond that. And so he doesn't just say, Peter, just forgive. What does he do? He tells a story. It's this kind of interesting parable. Jesus says that a master, a lord, is going to, he wants to call in all of his debts. And so there's someone who, owns him, who owes him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents is an inordinate number. It's basically like Jesus is saying, he owed a bazillion dollars, right? It's this great kind of hyperbolic kind of number, right? It's this exaggerated number. Someone has said, as they've kind of researched this, that it would have taken 150,000 years to pay off the debt, okay? So this is an astronomical number. And so he pleads. He says, please don't sell us. Please forgive the debts. And amazingly enough, he forgives them. And so then he, he walks out and he says, this is great. And all of a sudden, someone else comes in who owes him, right? And he owes him, what is it? It's 100 denarii, which is one 500,000th less, Okay. Than 10,000 talents, right? That's a pretty big difference, right? And he says, hey, will you please, will you please forgive me? And he says, No, right? In fact, he kind of grabs him by the throat, right? And he says, no way. And he throws him in prison. And he says, there's no way. And then there are those who are around him, and they see what has happened. And they are distressed, or they are saddened. And so all of a sudden, they go, and they report it to the Lord and Master. And he says, how could you have done this after I forgave you this exorbitant amount? How in the world could you then throw this other man into the prison? And so he reneges on everything that he had said that he was going to do for him. It's an interesting parable. And one of the things that I said last week that I need to say again this week is this. We have to be careful. We have to remember that no parable is a whole systematic theology. In other words, we can't just extract this parable and say, this is everything about God. Because if you did that, then the fear would be, if you ever mess up one time when it comes to forgiveness, if you ever fail one time, then you are in grave danger. Okay, so I want us to to kind of say, okay, well, let's realize that in some way this is an exaggerated parable. This is not enough. Grace is the main theme throughout the New Testament. But, That said, just as I said last week, this is a warning from Jesus. Jesus is saying this is absolutely critical. And you can't just kind of say, well, that person really did something bad. And so I just find it difficult to forgive, so let me just move on. What Jesus understood is that Jesus was all about relationship. And the number, one of the number, probably one, two, or three thing about relationship is that you have to be willing to forgive. And if you aren't willing to forgive, then you aren't willing to actually be in relationship. Because all of us, when we are in relationship, especially those with whom we are in close relationship, all of us are going to make mistakes. And all of us are going to be in relationship with someone else who makes a mistake. And if you are not willing to forgive someone, then you are not actually willing to be in relationship with that person. Person And Jesus knows just how critical it is. In fact, one commentator says that Jesus, yes, he offers forgiveness without condition, but not without consequence. Without condition, but not without consequence. In other words, when you have received that forgiveness, it should change you in some fundamental way. But it's not easy. Over the last couple of years, the session uh, has been reading this trilogy of books. We're kind of slow readers, so it takes us a while to get through them. And it's a book by uh, or they're by James Bryan Smith. He wrote these books, A Good and Beautiful God, Good and Beautiful Community, Good and Beautiful Life. It's a great trilogy. If you want to read them, I would encourage you to do so. But one of the things that he does is he goes around to different cities. And oftentimes he'll be on a radio station trying to drum up people to come to whatever it is he is. And he says that people are always calling and inevitably every time he's on the radio someone will call and ask about forgiveness and they will say how can I learn to forgive or they'll ask should I forgive can I even forgive right and so one of the one of the things my guess is that people are asking is sometimes in moments of abuse so I want to be very clear here I just want to take a quick moment to say this Right, that At times, when it comes to forgiveness, there have been those who have suggested, well, if you forgive, if you truly forgive, and even if someone is abusing you, you should go back into that relationship. And I want to be very clear that I do not think that is at all what Jesus is saying here. So let's be very clear about that. Oftentimes, the most loving thing you can do is to not go back into relationship with that person. So let me be very clear about that. But what was also interesting to me is just this notion that I think a lot of us, we either would like to forgive, or we know that we should like to forgive, but we don't actually know how to do it. We don't actually know how to get into that place. We can't force ourselves. And one of the things that we have said is, how do you cultivate? How do you cultivate being a people of generosity, a people of patience, a people of gentleness? And the question today is, how do you cultivate into being somebody who is forgiving? Because it doesn't come easily. One of the fascinating things about this particular parable is is the way in which the onlookers react to what they see when the servant who had been forgiven did not forgive back. And what we're told is that they were, the word here in Greek is a word that can mean distressed, but more often than not, it, 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 it means they were sad. They were sorrowful which I think is kind of fascinating because usually when it comes to something being done wrong, we don't normally get sad. What do we usually get? We get angry, right? We get angry at the reality of what has happened. And what's interesting is that they aren't just sad. It seems to me they're not just sad that this happened to this other person. They are sad to see the servant who had just been forgiven, to see the way in which he acted. And what I want to suggest to you is that that is critical when it comes to forgiveness. Dale Bruner says this. He says, yes, whenever we see injustice, we should be angry. But as Christians, we should also be sorrowful or sad. And if we are not, then there is a problem. Now, you may be saying to yourself, what's the difference between angry or being sad? Well, I think being angry allows you to keep the other person, act as if the other person is not even human. Right, You can treat him or her right like they're a monster. They stand for everything that is evil. But when you begin to look at them with a sense of sadness, it begins to create space so that you begin to see that they may actually be human. One of the things that happened this week, my guess is, in fact, as soon as right now as I'm talking about forgiveness, if I had to guess... I'm going to guess that some of you are probably thinking about someone in your life who you have not forgiven. I thought about asking you to raise your hands on this. (laughs) Only because I have a good feeling you would have a lot of friends. Most of us have that person. I have that person. And I was thinking about that this week. I've been kind of wrestling with it. I've been kind of, I've been angry at the passage because it's made me think about the person that I am angry at. Right? I have somebody who, who kind of broke my trust a number of years ago. It wasn't my wife. I want to be very clear about that um, um, so that nobody goes up to and says something to her. It was not her. But there's somebody who broke my trust, and I want you to know that I, I, I've wrestled with, and this week I've been wrestling, why do I continue to hold that anger And I realized also as a sense of why can I not quite forgive her? I've said, okay, I forgive you, but you know what that's like. I still hold it. There's a certain power to hold it over her head. And what I've realized this week is there's a couple of reasons, but one of the main reasons is because in some ways I continue to think she stands for what is evil in my life. And I realized I haven't been sad enough for her. A little pithy saying, hurt people hurt people, it kind of changes in some ways the way that I begin to look at her. Now, I didn't. I thought about calling her this week and talking through this, and I decided that that would be, um, I'm still too angry. But I want you to know that I'm thinking through that this week. What does it look like? i thought about it even with this parable. When you think about this guy, as one of us, we hear this guy, oh, what a jerk. I mean, how could you not forgive? That's ridiculous. Yeah, send him off. Torture that guy. And then I started thinking about it a little bit more. When's the last time that someone, that you even heard about someone forgiving a debt of a bazillion dollars or whatever it may be? That doesn't happen very often. And if it happened to you, guess what you would begin to wonder? Was he drunk? Right? Was he just having a good day? And is there a good chance that tomorrow when he wakes up, he's going to say, no, 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 what was I thinking? No way I'm forgiving you of that. So was there a part of him that was saying, okay, this other guy owes me some money. I better take some money. I better play this safe just in case. My Lord decides to change his mind. I better get some money. It may not be much, but I can offer him something, right? And there's almost this sense of, as you begin to think about him, a little bit different, almost as a human. How would you respond in those moments when something is difficult for you to believe? Which I think then brings us to what I would suggest is the main thrust of this particular parable. Which is that Jesus understands... That if we are going to be a people who forgive others, it begins not by you trying so hard to forgive others. It begins by you actually not just knowing, but genuinely believing in the forgiveness of Jesus. Now see, if I were to ask you, how many of you think that Jesus forgave you? Uh, And I will ask you, you will you please raise your hands for that one? Can you raise your hands for that one? Okay, Maybe not quite as many as you would for people you haven't forgiven, but close. Now, here's the thing. I grew up in church. I've heard this for most of my life. What I also know is there is sometimes a wide chasm. Whatever, What's the quote I always use from Pascal? The largest distance in the world is between your head and your heart. What I know is that there is oftentimes a great distance between what I think, oh yeah, Jesus forgives me, and what I actually genuinely believe. Because here's what we know. Here's what all of us know. We know the darkness in our lives. We know the things that we have done. We know the things that we have left undone. We know the things that we did today. And we oftentimes can remember very vividly the things we did years ago. And it is difficult for the vast majority of us to genuinely believe that Jesus loves us even in the midst of that sin. And to genuinely believe that is incredibly difficult difficult. I was thinking about that and, and, and I was drawn to this passage, I almost preached on it this morning, from John chapter 16. It's a passage I hadn't really studied all that much before, hadn't looked at. And let me just tell you quickly what was happening. Jesus has been trying to get it through the disciples' head, what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to you know, be buried. I'm going to be raised again. He tries to tell them all these things. And the disciples are slow learners, as most of us are, and they don't quite get it. And they're like, what are you talking about? And, and finally, for some reason, the disciples finally begin to understand this. And so then, Jesus says, okay, now that you understand it, let me tell you this. And this is what he says right here. Let's look at this. He answered them, do you finally believe? In fact, you're about to make a run for it. Saving your own skins and abandoning me. But I'm not abandoned. The Father is with me. I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. What's Jesus saying here? Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is standing on the precipice, and he knows already that those disciples that he has been with for three years, he has has poured into them, right? They have this deep relationship. He knows that they are all about to abandon him. And he's saying this, I know what you're going to do, but here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember that when you finally, when the day when you realize what you have done, I want you to remember this conversation. And what this conversation is telling you is that in spite of all of that, I want you to be at peace. I want you to know that I knew, A, that you were going to do this, and B, that I am ready to forgive you even now that I continue to love you. This is what one commentator says. He says he loved them for who for who they were and he loved them despite their shortcomings. In other words Jesus loves you right now for who you are, and he loves you despite your shortcomings. Jesus loves me right now, and Jesus loves me despite my shortcomings. See, here's what's important to see. A lot of times we think we can hide things from Jesus. Well, let's just kind of hide, and that's why we we are never genuinely forgiven for those things. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He's looking at you, and he says, no, I know you. And you're like, well, yeah, yeah, okay, you love this part of me. No, no, no. He says, I love all of you. Well, there's this one part you don't know. No, no, no. I know every part, and in the midst of those shortcomings, I love you. I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking, in a wedding, you know what we should do? What I wish we could do if we had the power in the wedding is I stand up here and everybody's looking beautiful and great and this is just this fantastic moment. And, yes, we're going to be with you through thick and thin. You know, all of those phraseology. I would love. What if on these screens all of a sudden a list of what the groom is going to do to the bride and vice versa over the next 30 years or 40 years, what if it just started slowly going scrolling down? Right? And as they're sitting there saying this, they're like looking at that, and they're like. But what if it was all there for everyone to see? And they still looked at the person, and they said, I do. That's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. That is the way in which he forgives. He says, I know your shortcomings. I know them. But in the midst of that, I love you. I am going to forgive you. What Jesus understands is the only way That we will begin to actually live like that with one another is when we begin by truly experiencing that and believing that in ourselves. That Jesus has loved us and forgotten us in that way. The problem is, we have to create space in our lives to begin to really believe that. I was having lunch with an elder a few weeks ago, and she pointed out how interesting it is that almost all of these characteristics, they require time. They require creating space, patience. You are never going to be patient or learn patience as long as you are running from one thing to the next gentleness. You will never going to be, when, 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 when am I least gentle? Whenever I am in a massive hurry, whenever I feel like there's so much to do, whenever I'm feeling all the stress, right? That's when I'm least gentle. And I'm going to suggest that for forgiveness as well, you have to create space and time to be able to soak in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, because nothing else in our world, there is very rare that you are going to be loved just as you are, despite your shortcomings. And so, we have to be reminded of that. Now, my hope and my prayer is that the church is a place where that happens. A few weeks ago, you may remember I was uh, down in Macon, Georgia. I was there to be a part of the installation of a pastor, a friend of mine, and. Uh, and so he had asked me to do the charge to the pastor, which is basically just telling the pastor what he should do. And as you guys know, you love doing that. And so I, I was excited to do that, right? I don't always get that opportunity. So I was ready to tell a pastor what I thought he should do. And so I was excited about that. And he had sent me a bulletin earlier in the week. Uh, he had emailed it to me, but I hadn't looked at that because I already knew what I was doing. And so I get, I, I'm at the plane in Atlanta. I'm waiting to the plane, and I decide to open up the bulletin. And I do. There's Jerry's name, great, next to the charge to the pastor. And then I look up, and I see that there's an assurance of pardon, and that I'm supposed to do it. And I thought, well, I didn't know I was supposed to do this, right? This declaration of forgiveness. I thought, oh, gee whiz, I don't have a, a book of common worship with me. I'm not ready for this. And so I, I emailed my buddy real quick. I said, hey, man, I, I, I didn't see this, and can you just print off something, and I'll just do that. And and so so I got down to Macon I'm an hour or so away and and I and I said, "Hey, did you get a chance to print that off?" And he looked kind of perturbed with me. Now, my buddy, he's old school Presbyterian. And 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 so old school Presbyterian and the worship, what would you do? You would always have every week you'd have an assurance, every week you'd have a confession and an assurance. Maybe some of you are familiar with that or if you grew up in a different tradition, Lutherans do this, uh, Roman Catholics and And so uh he was like, "Well, just I mean, just I mean, you you do this, right? Just do one that you've always done. And I was embarrassed to tell him that at ZPC we don't really do that because I knew that he would judge me, and I didn't know if he would forgive me. And, and so I, 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 I was like, oh, yeah, okay, sure, no problem, whatever. And when he left the room, I did what any good pastor does, right? I Googled, right, Um, <laughs> you know, assurance of pardon, right? I was like, geez, i got to find this thing, you know. This is going to be awkward, and he's going to, you know, again, he's going to judge me. And, and so, but an interesting thing happened, which was the very first one that popped up, All of a sudden, I remembered it. You see, because for seven or eight years before I ever came here, I was a part of a more traditional Presbyterian church. There's two of them that would always do those confessions and assurances. Now, I'm not doing that as a way of saying we're going to do this every week. There is something to be said for it, but I've also kind of, as someone who has done that, I've looked out into people's faces and doing it every week, and I've seen them just be like, you know, and you know that they're not actually paying attention. This is not real, and I don't really like that. But I do know that as soon as I began to see that, like everything went from the screen to my tongue to my brain. It was just this. It was hear the good news of the gospel. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Behold, the old life has gone and a new life is begun. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. See, what I know is that whether you are two or whether you are ninety-two, all of us because we are quick to forget all of us need to be reminded that we have been forgiven by Christ and the only way that we will ever begin to be shaped more like Jesus to forgive others is when we fully live into that Lewis Speeds was a longtime professor at Fuller Theological Seminary he has this great quote when it comes to forgiveness He says, forgiving someone is setting a prisoner free and then discovering that that prisoner was you. Forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and then discovering that that prisoner was you. You see, if we want to be a people who freely appreciate and freely live into forgiveness, we first of all, we have to be able to experience it and genuinely believe it. But as we do so, that freedom is able to grow as we are able to forgive others. And we are freed, as they say, for a new future that is not chained to what somebody may have done to us in the past. And think about what difference it would make if we as a people believed that and lived into that. But one of the things that this parable makes very clear is this, that people are watching. You remember, there they were, they were sitting there, they were watching, they were looking to see how this person who had been forgiven, how he treated this other person who owed him something, they were watching. And if there's one thing that ZPC should know after its history, is this. That people watch to see, not how people react to one another when things are going well, but when forgiveness is needed. And the community around us is always watching. How do we treat one another in the midst of those things? One of the great joys of my time here at ZPC has been to be able to experience that over these few years, to see forgiveness, to see reconciliation, to see relationships that had been torn asunder to be brought back. It is not easy, and it is oftentimes a long and slow process. We cannot force it. And yet, to be able to see that is a remarkable joy. So this week... As I say to you, who's someone that you may need to forgive? And as that person's face pops up in your mind, it's not going to pop up on the screen, lucky for you, but as that person pops up on your mind, I want to encourage you to do these things. First, are you looking at this person as if he or she is human? And then secondly, I encourage you to look at John 16, 31 through 33. To read those words again and again. And to know that Jesus loves you despite your shortcomings. And even though he knows exactly what you are going to do tomorrow. How you are going to mess up the next day. Jesus loves you in the midst of that. I want to ask you, if we'll close our eyes. And I want you to hear these words one more time. And I want you to know that these words are for you. Hear the good news of the gospel. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for you. Christ rose for you. Christ reigns in power for you Christ prays for you. Behold, your old life has gone and a new life is begun. Sisters and brothers in Christ, know that you have been forgiven and be at peace. Hallelujah. Amen.